Jason Redman is a retired US Navy Lieutenant who spent 11 years as an enlisted Navy SEAL and almost 10 years as a SEAL officer. I'd taken two rounds in the Army. I took a round in the uh, lower bicep and I took a round in the, uh, inside my forearm and, and the doctor said, um, I mean, they could not have destroyed my elbow any any worse. I mean, my elbow was just effectively shattered and destroyed. There were pieces missing out of it. Um, so the initial talk was, I had no use of my hand, I had nerve damage, so the initial talk was to amputate my arm. Some of his awards have included the Bronze Star with Valor, the Purple Heart, the Defense Meritorious Service Medal, the Navy Commendation Medal, and the Joint Service Achievement Medal. That night on battle, I knew I was dying. Um, and I, I told myself, I had heard a statistic, you could make it to the combat sport hospital with a pulse, um, you have a 90% chance to make it at home alive. And I was telling myself, stay awake, to stay alive, stay awake, to stay alive. After being severely wounded in Iraq in 2007, Redmond returned to active duty before retiring in 2013. That's when he launched his speaking and consultation company, which focuses on inspirational presentations on leadership, teamwork, and the overcome mindset, helping individuals, companies, and teams to get off the X from what he refers to as life ambushes. Redman is the author of the New York Times best-selling memoir, The Trident the forging and reforging of a Navy SEAL leader. And he died right after the surgery. The, the, the medical staff had made a mistake and they overdosed him with morphine. They killed him. And uh, that really crushed me because um, I know how hard it is to go through this journey. I know how hard it is to continue to take those steps, you know, continue driving forward, continue taking action, continue being positive. And Ryan was a great example of that. And that really, that wouldn't really hurt me, um, but the flip side of that coin. Before we begin today's episode, I would really appreciate a review on whatever podcast platform you are listening to this on. This helps to get the message out there to men and therefore encourage and inspire them to level up their life. So without further ado, this is the Modern Warrior Podcast. I am your host, Gavin Meenan, Thank you for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. And it is fitting that the title of this podcast is related to the next guest on this podcast. And I have a man here who is the absolute ultimate modern warrior in today's age. I'm absolutely honored to be joined by Jason Redman. Now, Jason's story is going to absolutely blow your fucking mind and have you leaving this podcast feeling incredibly inspired by what you hear and the message that Jason will deliver. Jason, absolutely delighted to have you here, my man. Thank you. Yeah, it's an honor to be on and big shout out to all of Ireland. It's really cool when I'm able to cross borders and reach out and talk to people in other countries. We're delighted to have you, my man. And like every podcast that I have here, I like to go straight into the deep end. 
And for you and your experience, I want to go straight back to that battlefield because a lot of people in Ireland will not know about your story. A lot of people in Ireland as well are not, we don't engage in war. We, you know, it's something that's quite foreign to us. We don't have soldiers. Well, we have soldiers, but we, we don't engage in warfare, warfare, warfare on a regular basis as Americans do. So it's a, it's a very foreign place for us. Can you give us a bit of an insight as to uh, that day or that night on the battlefield when your whole life changed? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'd been a SEAL for about 15 years. I'd been an enlisted SEAL and then later became a SEAL officer. And there's a lot more details about that. That's part of my story. But uh, we'll, we'll fast forward past all that to that night. Uh, we were operating out of uh, the Ambar province, the western province of Iraq. Uh, 06, 07 was a really volatile time in Iraq. Um, there was the, 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 the war had just kind of imploded. Um, you had um, you had Al Qaeda, which was uh, Sunni based, uh, which definitely was with a heavier disposition based out of the Western Province, out of Ambar. You had Shia, who were Iranian, um, but you know you still had a smaller conglomerate of Iraq, and they were more based out of Baghdad. And then you had the insurgency, different groups who were just fighting to destabilize Iraq, or who just wanted. Um, we know there were even, you know, Mujahideen that were trying to come out of Afghanistan and engage in Iraq uh, and other places. So it just turned into this big <laughs> mess. Um, so, but in 06, 07, we started getting better information. I think the Iraqis uh, basically said, hey, we're tired of the chaos that's occurring in our country. We want our country back. And for a lot of people, that actually started out in the Ambar province. That's what uh, the Ambar awakening, for anybody that ever heard that song, that's really what it was. The local tribal leaders in Iraq said, hey, you know, we're going to start providing you guys information. And that enabled us, especially at the special operations level, to really get good intelligence to go after um, al-Qaeda insurgent uh, leaders. And uh, so 06, 07, a lot of a uh, lot of action, a lot of combat, and we were at the tail end of my deployment in 07. And all deployment, we had been trying to hunt down the number one leader for the Al Qaeda organization in Iraq and in the western part of Iraq. And um, very dangerous individual. Uh, he ran several cells that uh, ran sniper cells, ID cells. Uh, he had. He had shot down. He had shot down a Marine Corps helicopter in the fall of 2006, um, and he had been directly responsible for the killing of a fellow SEAL in April of 2007 on the very first mission of our deployment. So all deployment, we were trying to get this guy. Um, the very we were literally one week from going home when we got the word at a specific time or location. What we call a time-sensitive target. We, we launched a mission that night, one September 12th, uh, or we geared up for the mission that night. There was a lot of um, complexities to the mission. Um, I'll be honest, because of those complexities, I almost didn't think the mission was going to go. But at the last minute, we got approval probably around 11 o'clock, um, which is late. Uh, and we had a small window. We basically, you know, launched our helicopters and flew directly to the target, took down the the initial target, and there was nothing there. Uh, although while we were clearing the initial target, we started seeing a whole lot of activity on another building about 150 yards away. And um, 
we we my boss said hey let's let's go see what's happening here we watched five individuals come out the door run across the street and hide in some vegetation we've seen that before you know the enemy doesn't always know um you know or on the battlefield people don't always know they think they can hide and sometimes they can but sometimes we see them uh when they're trying to hide so we had seen that before and uh, we decided we were going to walk these individuals down and capture them and find out who they were and what they knew. Um, unfortunately for us, what we didn't know is our number one leader was actually in that house about 150 yards away. He um, he had a very strong security detail of about 15 individuals, and they had set up an ambush line in that vegetation across the street. So when we came up, uh, we basically walked right into this ambush. Um, we we had we had aircraft overhead. You know, we were communicating with our aircraft to make you know say, hey, can you see weapons? Can you see anything? And unfortunately, they did not see anything. Uh, really dense vegetation. As we were coming out of the vegetation, um, we um, basically my my medic stepped on an enemy fighter who rolled over and tried to engage him. Um, medic who was also a seal. And he, he shot that guy, it triggered this ambush and the world just kind of exploded. So, um, our, my, my medic was initially shot and took a round below the knee. Uh, one of our other guys ran forward to grab him and drag him back. Uh, we were now out in front of this vegetation with, you know, nothing but thousands of yards of empty Iraqi desert behind us. Uh, and the only thing back there, there was kind of a large tractor tire and then uh, a lone free. So. The guys fell back to that. Um, our, our one guy grabbed our medic and started dragging him back to the tire mat. And Matt was uh, shot up. The um, He was shot three times, twice in the leg and, and once in the arm. But Matt, still such a beast of a guy, Matt continued to drag uh, uh, our, our medic back. Uh, I was out front at this point, and I was trying to lay down fire for the gun when both machine guns turn on me. And, um, and I was stitched uh, across the body armor. I took two rounds in the left elbow, which in the moment I thought I had shot, they had shot my arm off. Um, I took rounds off my right side plate, off my helmet. I had my uh, left night vision tube shot off, um, <laughs> realizing it was not a good place to be. I, I turned and tried to move back to where our guys were, and that's when I caught a round in the face. Uh, hit me right in front of the ear, traveled through my face, took off most of my nose, blew out my right cheekbone. Uh, what was left of the cheekbone broke and kicked out to the right. Uh, my eye kind of fell down in this newfound hole in my face, broke the head of my jaw, shattered my jaw and my chin. And it, and it, and it knocked me out initially in the moment. The guy saw, thought I was dead, um, and I was unconscious. Um, came to, I don't know, five minutes or so, and uh, woke up. And watching tracer fire travel over me um, during the Lowland fire, I called out to a team leader, and um, they realized he was still alive. I realized there was nothing I could do. It's one of the downsides of uh, of combat. Um, you know, if someone is wounded, you can't expect your guys to run forward and grab you in the middle of a fierce gunfight because then they're going to be wounded. So, um, you know, about the most extreme form of patience you can ever imagine you know you just gotta wait and that's exactly what i had to do i recognized that and i recognized that to wait um so this firefight was literally raging right over me um, my team leader attempted to call in a fire mission from the ac-130 gunship 
which initially they denied. They said, you guys are so close. I was only 45 feet from a machine gun that had me pinned down. So the gunship said, there is no way. Um, we will kill you. Uh, there's a term uh, in the military called danger close parameters. So when we drop bombs from aircraft, there is an explosive radius and a fragmentation radius that goes out. And, and we know roughly how far that distance is based on the bombs we're dropping. And for that aircraft, we knew we were way within those parameters. So the, uh, the gunship said, no, um, my team leader called back maybe five minutes later and said, Hey man, I've got three guys bleeding out. You know, if you don't bring this in, nobody's going to be left. And they said, no, one more time. Uh, at that point, about five more minutes went by and he said, hey, we're running out of ammo. It's probably been about 30, 35 minutes at this point uh, with this firefight. And he said, hey, if you don't bring this um, fire mission in, there's not going to be anybody left. So at that point, they relented and uh, they basically did some talking and coordinating. And then they brought the, that fire mission in. And I remember laying there, he called out to me, hey, incoming. And you can actually... The aircraft flies at pretty high altitude, and uh, when the gun goes off, there's a there's a long delay. It's not like not like when you're shooting at a range, you know, where you fire a gun and you see the bullet hit the target almost immediately. Um, you will hear the gun go off, and then there's a long delay, you know, five or six seconds. So I remember hearing the gun boom, 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 go off, and uh, literally listening that machine gun crank away. And all of a sudden, round hit directly in front of us and, and blew up over me. And uh, and the gun went cold. And suddenly, I heard the uh, the enemy fighter calling out. Um, you know, he's calling out to to his God, Allah Akbar. And uh, I remember thinking to myself, "Stand by, man." You know, unfortunately, here he comes. And the next rounds came in, uh, took that guy out. My team leader ran forward. Uh, needed to get a hold of me and got me back to the tire at this point. Um, I was losing a lot of blood. I, uh, I was recognized, was bleeding out. And um, this is where I think I often talk about the overcome mindset. I don't think, you know, you can't will yourself to stay alive if you lose all your blood. But I do think there is a huge difference between, uh, you, you, we know uh, medicine has proven that the will to live is a very powerful thing. And you can overcome some incredible odds and incredible injuries just merely by the will to live. We also know if you decide that you give up and want to die uh, or give in, you will die a lot faster. So it's amazing the power that's bringing. And, and that night on the battlefield, I knew I was dying. Um, and I, I told myself, I had heard a statistic, if you could make it to the combat sport hospital with a pulse, um, you have a 90% chance to make it out home alive. And I was telling myself, stay awake to stay alive, stay awake to stay alive. And I just focused on that. And um, they flew the rotors off and got me to Baghdad, where thankfully I had an amazing medical staff, you know, Army, Navy, Air Force doctors who uh, who saved my life and put me back together. So I, I owe my life to my teammates. I owe my life to that AC-130 gunship, and I owe my life to the, the medical staff who saved me. But, uh, but uh, yeah, that was uh, that night changed a lot. Do you also owe your life to the people you stayed alive for? You know, while you're lying there bleeding out in the dirt. You know, what what kept you alive? Like, why why did you continue to stay awake? Yeah, I uh, married. I had three young kids. Um, and, and I'll be honest in the very beginning, I kind of thought to myself, man, this sucks. I'm going to die here, uh, in this, you know, 
on this Iraqi battlefield. And I realized I wasn't, I, I, I didn't want to, <laughs> I didn't want to die. I wasn't ready yet, uh, which is an important thing. I thought a lot of people about that, how we live a life of no regret, because uh, we all got to die. It's a guarantee in this life. I am living a second chance. Most of you will not get a second chance. Most of you, when you get the luxury, and I call it a luxury of facing death, but sometimes man, death comes in the blink of an eye. You don't see it coming and you're just gone. So all the more reason why we have to live our life to our fullest. You got to live greatly, man. You got to live a life where you got no regrets. So that when you check out, man, you go, you know, you go, you go skid into the grave like, you know, I'm ready. I did it. Busted it. Amazing. And uh, I had not done it. So the first go around, I had not done it. And I had a lot of regret. A lot of regret. You know, things I wish I had done, things I wish I hadn't done, uh, things I wish I had done better. And, and all of that, uh, two things happened. One, you know, I called out to the big guy above and I said, hey, I need help. Um, you know, not everybody, you know, not everybody believes in faith. But uh, for me, um, I had this power and I got up and I was able to walk 75 yards and get on the helicopter under my own power. And number two, I thought about my wife and kids. I said, I, I want to go home. I want to, I, I want to, you know, I want to raise my kids. I want to be with my kids. I want to be with my wife. And I, I, I have more living to do. So you went from one war zone to another war zone, didn't you though? After you left that battlefield? Yeah. I mean, I often talk about life ambushes. So I survived this vicious enemy ambush. And, uh, but everybody in life gets ambushed. I mean, some of you may be listening to a firefight story and, and you're like, holy smokes. I mean, that's, that's incredible. Um, and it was incredibly intense. Um, you know, by far the most intense firefight I was ever in. I had a couple of teammates who continued on their career who were in that firefight. And they said, and they saw a lot of combat. And they said it was by far the most intense gunfight they were ever in. Um, but everyone in life gets ambushed. Everyone. You know, to, to be a human is hard. I mean, there's always problems. And I think with technology, we have made life so much more complicated. I mean, and it, it moves at this exponential pace. I mean, you hear everyone's opinion on everything. You know, there, there's information warfare going on. So it's easy to get pinned down, what I call, on the X. And the X is the point of attack, the point of crisis, it's the point of catastrophic event. And um, I stepped out of the enemy ambush only to find myself in the life ambush. And by, when I got to the hospital in Bethesda, you know, initially I was super excited. I was like, oh my God, I survived. I mean, you know, because I, I really, you know, for for <laughs> for a little while there, believe now, I mean, I wasn't sure I was going to make it home. I wasn't sure I was going to make it. Um, so there was this initial like, man, euphoria that I survived. And then that started turning into the reality of the situation. And uh, I had very grievous injuries. I was in the ICU. Um, I needed, um, between the time I left Iraq to the time I got to Bethesda, Maryland, where um, the military hospital was in the United States, I needed um, seven or eight blood transfusions. Um, when the doctors started assessing and letting me know the, the path, you know, it was a lot of bad news. Um, you know, my, my arm where I where it had effectively, I'd taken two rounds in the arm. I took a round in the uh, lower bicep and I took a round in the uh, inside my forearm. And, and the doctor said, um, 
I mean, they could not have destroyed my elbow any any worse. I mean, my elbow was just effectively shattered and destroyed. There were pieces missing out of it. Um, so the initial talk was I had no use of my hand. I had nerve damage. So the initial talk was to amputate my arm. Um, I my face was all mangled. Uh, most of my nose was going. Obviously, the cheekbone was was destroyed, and the. Uh, and there was a lot of talk on how we put me back together. I was, uh, I had tubes coming out of what was left in my nose. I was wired shut. I, um, I was straight, um, and they were feeding me through a stomach tube. So this were all the things that I was facing. And I remember thinking to myself, like, man, where do I go from here? Like here I was stopping my career. Um, and I'm going to throw in a, a candidate and I'm only going to touch on it for a second, but. A lot of people are real. Most people think, you know, hey, combat veteran and all these things, and they think that this battlefield injury was the worst thing that happened. But there's another large part of my story that's covered in my book to try to actually failed as a young leader about three years prior to this event. And uh, and it took it took a couple of years to rebuild back my credibility and reputation as a young field leader. And it is the hardest road I've ever walked. I, I When it occurred, uh, I made a bad call on a mission in Afghanistan. I put a gun in my mouth and Afghanistan was going to take my life. And, and from that moment to climbing out of that deep, dark hole, um, back to success on the battlefield in Iraq, that was a long journey. But I will say this, by the time I got to that bed in Iraq, oftentimes I tell people that an overcome mindset is built by going through hard times. So even the hard times, when you're in life ambushes and you're sitting on the X, be thankful for them because they're making you better. They are making you harder. They're turning you into the modern day warrior because warriors don't do, warriors don't sit on their ass and just live in comfort. Warriors embrace discomfort, they embrace hard things because that's what makes them better. And uh, that journey from failure as a young leader to that bed in Iraq, I knew in that moment, I said, you know what, man, this sucks. But guess what? You've already walked this path. It is no different. The, 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 the formula and the rules you put in place for your life to change yourself as a leader are the same formula rules that you're going to apply in this hospital bed to overcome and drive forward. I don't know what the future looks like, but guess what? No matter what, I'm going to take action to drive forward and get off this X. I'm going to be positive. I'm going to lift others up. And, and all I'm going to figure out is if they tell me I can't do this, I'll figure out what I can do. And that really became the, the uh, you know, the launch point, if you will, um, on how I handled my recovery and drove forward. You put a gun in your mouth and nearly took your life? In 2005, absolutely. Uh, I, 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 I had failed as a young leader. I was running down the path. I let ego and arrogance get the best of me. You know, I'd had a successful career up to that point, and like many people, I started to rest on my laurels. I started to think I was better than other people. I started to follow the path of do as I say, not as I do, because I've already done all that stuff. You know, I don't need to do that. You know, you you need to pay your dues. Um, and I I was too arrogant to. Uh, leaders don't know everything. Uh, no leader is going to know everything. No leader is going to be the best at everything. You're always that. You surround yourself with amazing people, and hopefully, if you do it right, they're all going to be better than you. And and a good leader is not afraid to look at them and say, Hey, man, I don't know how to do this. Uh, can you show me? And I was, I couldn't do all of that. That's a, that's a much deeper conversation, but it is the, it is much of what I speak on is about that. The lessons that I learned, I built systems into my life, something I call the Pentagon of peak performance, my learn to lead formula. 
or the things I built into my life so I could become a better leader after that moment in that chair where I almost took my life. It's almost as if you had to go through that process, didn't you, to actually survive what happened on the battlefield? Well, I describe it in my book, and I talk about the overcome mindset um, in the book. And the reason my first book, The Trident, was called The Forging and Reforging of a Navy SEAL Leader, if you think of a sword, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of, of edged weapons. I mean, just, you know, throughout history, before the advent of the firearm, warfare was just brutal. And, uh, and, and edged weapons were, were up close and personal and really well-made weapons were truly amazing. Uh, the, the Japanese probably were some of the greatest swordsmen in history with the way they developed the, the, the katana from many years ago. And the way they built the way they built swords was, you know, they used different types of metal that they melted together, and then they would fold them, and then they would basically they would heat it up, and then they would put it in water and cool it, and they would heat it up and cool it, and they would continue to fold, hammer it out, so melting it, and then hardening it, and then obviously sharpening it. Um, and this is what made a great sword. It could be flexible, uh, but but could still withstand the impact, and and. We all are like that in this life. If you are not forged, if you don't go through this process, you're not going to be an effective weapon in this life. And in my case, I had been broken. Uh, my sword was broken. I was straight up broken. And I had to be reforged back together. So I had to go through this process a second time. But it made me even better. It made me even better. So, you know, I tell people, man, stop, stop shying away from hard things. You know, stop sitting there and sitting on the X and feeling sorry for yourself or only focusing on the problem and not focusing on the solution. Even if you only have a 20% solution, take action and move off it. That's going to be significantly better than sitting there and continuing to feel sorry for yourself, which is what most people do. Most people talk and talk and talk, and they never end up moving off the X. They end up getting stuck on the X. And the longer you sit on that X, the, the more it's like quicksand and the further it pulls you down and the harder it is to get up and move, man. Take action. Get off that X quickly as possible you know it may not be the outcome you you wanted you may never recover what's lost you may never fix what's broken but you will at least move forward and you will start to get momentum in your life again that is the secret to my success in everything i've done mm -hmm. movement is life isn't it that's right movement is life yes you uh you've obviously taken a lot from that experience where you almost died on the battlefield and you've applied it into your life today. And of course, you help so many others with the inspiration of that story and and the uh, and the hope that you can give them in order to move forward and the strategies and the principles, of course, that you've applied in your own life to then help others. Is there anything that you have taken from that moment, from that battlefield where you're lying, dying on the, dying on the soil? Is there anything you've taken from that that you would have liked to have left behind that you want to leave behind no no i don't think so um you know what happened that night you know in, in the beginning i think it's human nature that we always look back and we we dissect anything bad that's happened um i know that there's a lot of warriors out there that carry you know trauma with them from things that have happened uh in war i left those things behind and i and i talked about those things um and we we Technically, we did everything right. We did everything according to our tactics. Now, 
today, modern day warriors learn some of those lessons. So there are things they would have done different, but that's that's the hard part of life. Sometimes you do things wrong, and we learn lessons out of those wrong things. You know, and in 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 special operations in the military, we often say lessons learned in blood, meaning someone was injured or killed, and we learned a lesson and said, "Wow, we don't want to do that again." Um, and I think life is no different. So. I have been through four major life ambushes in my lifetime. Um, you know, my 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 leadership failure, obviously my battlefield injuries. I was involved in a pretty nasty lawsuit at one point in my career and accused of doing things that I did not do. Uh, and then I got really sick in 2020 and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me for about six months. Uh, and then every one of those things was miserable to go through. Every one of them. But they also made me better, and and that is, that's why I never look back. I can say, man, I wish that hadn't happened. Um, I just say, man, what amazing lessons that I learned that made me better. That's what builds an overcome mindset. In these hard moments you go through in your life, but stop looking at them like they're so negative and bitching and complaining. Oh boy, I wish this never happened to me, and start taking action. So you didn't suffer with any trauma from that experience. You know, when I came home, I had some, I had anxiety issues. I definitely had issues with sleep, but I also attacked those things. I, I sought out treatment. I sought out um, counseling. I sought out different modalities that could help me. And this is what sometimes frustrates me with fellow wounded warriors. I'll meet them and, and they have tried maybe one thing, maybe even two things. And then they're like, well, none of that worked. And then all they're doing is self-medicating and feeling sorry for themselves. And they look at other guys like me or other people and they say, well, you know, you're so lucky because I can't fix myself. Well, that's bullshit. You have to lead yourself. And it may be the, it may be the fifth or sixth attempt of a different modality before you figure out what works for you. Everyone is different. Every human, we're wired differently. The way we function, the way our brain works is a little bit different. So it's no different in life. Whether it's business, you know, Gavin, you know, with your business, the way you run your business may not be the same way. I can, I can duplicate everything you've done in your business, and I may not get the same results you have, just because I'm, a, I'm a different being. I have different followings. I'm in a different environment, and and it's no different in life. So everyone has problems. Everyone has trauma. We have to look for different ways to figure out what works for us. And, and like I said, it may not be the first time. It may not be the second time. It may not be the third try. It may be, you know, but you have to lead yourself. I say this often. No one can pull someone off the X if they're unwilling to go. Because if they're unwilling to get off that X on their own, they're just going to climb back a little bit. Yeah. I think when men initially take action as well, they want to do it all on their own. You know, again, this, the pride and the ego gets in the way. So would the initial initial step be to reach out for help and to, and to find some guidance or mentorship or in your from your perspective is the is the first step you no know, take action go with your instinct and see what happens on your own and if you fuck up then find help or seek help is or again is that quite subjective uh, I guess the question is at one at what point should someone reach out for help if they're stuck on the X I think immediately. It is hard to get off the X on your own. It, it starts with you, though. You, that individual, has to decide, like, I need to get off this deck. Now, 
They can try and do it on their own. Oftentimes that's really difficult, but it starts with you. You have to take the first step. You have to figure out like, what is the action step that I'm taking? Um, I, I have something called the react methodology that's in my book on, on how you can deal with a life ambush and what you can do to, to get off that app. Um, the, um, God, I lost my train of thought there. Um, secondary, yes, reaching out is critical to, as, as human, there are other people who have been through the things you've been through are other people who are trained to help you out of that situation. Um, when I, when I put that gun in my mouth in Afghanistan, I realized I needed help and I left and went and found the special operations shop on a base and talked to him and he helped. Man, he talked to me about the fact that even though I felt like it was the end, and it was, it was the end of one part of my life because I had screwed up, but it was the beginning of another. I, I thought, I tell people that so often when we have a the end moment, it becomes a new beginning. You actually become better and who knows what path you're going to be on. But we need to, don't be afraid to reach out. And I know a lot of alpha, alpha males out there who think that it is a, that it's weakness to reach out for help. And that's bullshit. You know, swallow your pride and your ego and recognize there are people out there that have gone through what you've been through. And, and there is not some magic pill. They're not going to hand you a red pill that's going to fix your life. I see this a lot too. People think, well, if I reach out for help and immediately I should be fixed and off the X and my life is dandy. It doesn't work that way. Oftentimes that, that, that decision to get off the X is only the first step. And there's a hundred more that are going to happen. And there are going to be people that are going to help you. You know, th these people over here might, may help you take the next step. And then they say, I'm taking you as far as I can, but I want you to introduce these people. And they help you take the next one. And then they introduce you to these people. Or you want me something else. And you're like, hey, you thought me take the next one. But you're not even there yet. you got to go on that. So many people, they get, they, they lack discipline, consistency, and they expect it to happen overnight. It isn't going to. You have to continue to take that action. You have to continue to drive forward. And you have to continue to recognize that there are people along the way that can help you to make you better, whether it's in business, whether it's physically, or whether it's with trauma. Who's been your greatest help? So my wife's been amazing. I am very fortunate to have an absolutely incredible wife. Uh, and she is my best friend. She is my business partner. And, and oftentimes she kept me on course. Um, you know, not, not everybody has, there've been other people that are out there that have made a tremendous difference for me. I had a wounded warrior that came to visit me in the hospital that had been shot in the face also. His name is Clay South. He was a Marine. Um, he came and shared time with me, which motivated and inspired me. I've had mental health professionals that helped me. I had different modalities from stellar ganglion block to um, um, MRT therapy, magnetic resonance therapy, to um, different things that helped me to make a difference. And then there were other leaders who helped. Um, especially when I screwed up as a young leader, I found mentors. I found people that I said, you know, that person is better than, or, or that person is a great leader and they're where I want to be. Um, and I, and I would ask them, Hey, would you be willing to give me advice? And I work with you. And those things are all things that help you. You don't have to do it alone, man. Stop thinking that's the case. Uh, put your pride down, you know, and there are a lot of people who are glad to help, um, you know, balance again, time and everything else. Can you talk to me about Ryan, Ryan Job and 
the impact that his life and his death had on you? So Ryan was, uh, I didn't serve with Ryan, although we became friends after we were wounded. We actually met at, uh, at Mike uh, Monsoor's Medal of Honor ceremony at the White House. And uh, in 2009, maybe, 2000, maybe 2008. But uh, Ryan was assigned to, uh, Ryan worked with um, Chris Kyle, American Sniper. Uh, Chris writes about Ryan in his book. Uh, he's featured in the movie American Sniper. And Ryan and I had similar injuries. Um, Ryan had a machine gun that took a sniper round that ricocheted up into his face. Uh, whereas, you know, mine came from the other way, but very similar injuries, damaged orbit, damaged front of the skull. So we had similar surgeries and we became friends and we used to joke with each other and, and talk back and forth on recovery and, and different things. Um, and uh, so I'd been friends with Ryan for probably about a year and a half and he had had a surgery in 2000. Um, late 2009, if I remember correctly, maybe early 2010. And, um, and he died right after the surgery, the, the, the medical staff had made a mistake and they overdosed him with morphine. They killed him. And, uh, that really crushed me. Um, cause I know how hard it is to go through this journey. I know how hard it is to continue to take those steps, you know, continue driving forward, continue taking action, continue being positive. And Ryan was a great example of that. And that really, that one really hurt me, um, but the flip side of that coin, anytime I've lost friends, whether it's teammates or other people, it also further emphasizes to me how we have to continue to live greatly in honor of them. Everybody's going to die. Everybody's going to die. Every one of us. Our day is numbered. Somewhere out there, you're going to check out. For me, I don't know when that is. I, I pray that it's when I'm, I, I hope I'm 80 and I'm hanging out with my grandkids and I'm looking back over an amazing life, but it, it may not be. It could be tomorrow. So every day you should be living greatly. Every day you should be trying to do something positive in your life, physically, personally, professionally. And, and I think about that. That's how I honor my teammates that are no longer here. That's how I honor Ryan. That's how I honor my, my you know, I'm way too many teammates that I've lost. And, uh, I think that's how you live greatly in this life. So, what does that look like every day then? I mean, when you wake up in the morning, what are some of the first things you do to get you into that positive mindset or perhaps your default is positive mindset, but for someone else who's maybe struggling, can you give them some principles or some guidance with that? Well, first off, man, get rid of the news. Get rid of, uh, you know, if you got anybody negative in your social media, get rid of that shit. You know, we live in this divided negative world. Um, you know, when I get up, usually what I like to do, I like to have a little bit of time to myself. I like to wake up. I'm not, I'm not a, I'm not a morning person. I would jump out of bed and like, oh my God, let me attack the day. That's just not me. I'm not that way. Um, I need a little bit of time to wake up. And for me, you know, that, that's some coffee, that's some water. And I like to read. I like to read. Um, I also like to see, I have a non-bot newsletter that I received that kind of tells me what's going on in the world. Um, and I, I like to do that. And then after that, I go get a workout. And one of the first things I want to do is I want to move my body. I want to feel good. And oftentimes, many times when I'm working out, even today, right before this podcast, um, I get a lot of ideas when I'm working out. It sparks creativity for me. So I have my, you know, I'm, I'm, you know oftentimes when I work it out, I'm writing down notes, I'm writing down things. 
if I have a meeting that's coming up, I'm writing down my thoughts on getting ready for that meeting. Um, so those are always the things that I'm doing in the morning before I start my day. So I, I think moving, I talk about physical leadership in my Pentagon and peak performance. I also talk about my rule of three Ps every day, one thing physical, one thing personal, one thing professional. And, and I, this machine we walk around in is absolutely amazing. And uh, it, you should take care of it because if you take care of it and you move it and you push weights with it and you run with it and you jump with it, there's tremendous rewards for your brain, your stress level, all these different things. So I meet, I meet so many leaders who don't physically take care of themselves and they give me all these excuses. I'm too busy. My business is this, my, or I got a family. I, I those are bullshit excuses. Um, and you're and you're really hurting yourself in the long run. You are not the optimal version of yourself if you're not taking care of yourself physically. We take it for granted too, don't we? But you've had the again fortune of uh, experiencing a life where your body wasn't functional. I know you were in a wheelchair for quite some time. You uh, your arm wasn't functioning, of course. So we take these things for granted. We do, and people will make excuses. I meet a lot of people who, and 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 let me take a step back. I, I'm never one to say, oh, this never applied to me. I did it too. After I got injured, there was a period of time where I stopped working out for a while after I retired from the military. Um, and because I was focused on my business and also, you know, my, my arm didn't quite work right. And I said, man, I can't work out like I used to work out. And, and I realized that that was an excuse and that was a bullshit excuse um you know and you you figure out i tell people you got to figure out what your new 100 percent. i mean you know there's amazing wounded warriors out there i mean if you've never seen noah galloway noah galloway say he is an army amputee and a leg amputee um and noah was uh featured in muscle and fitness he just be a beat he never let that become an excuse um and and i said i'm going to do the same i'm going to get back at it there's some things i can't do that's okay. I figure out how a different way to do it, or I do something different. But no matter what, getting back to your new 100%, and we're always going to be, our entire lives is going to be that way. I I never want to peak. So at 80, maybe I'm only able to deadlift up 125 pounds. But guess what? The next, my next week, I'm going to be like, can I do 126? You know? And I'm never going to settle. You know? And I think that does. I think People who are successful live their lives this way. And I also think they recognize that that taking care of their body is such a critical part, you know, of what we do. I mean, our 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 mind and our body are tied together. If you're fit taking care of your body, if you're good nutrition, good sleep, and you're and you're moving your body amazing. Um, the other thing I'm doing is optimizing myself. I'm fascinated with technology. So everything from I wear a whoop where I'm able to track what my body's doing, my sleep, my impact. And I also, coming back, I knew that there was a period of time at about um, 43, 44, where I just started to feel bad. I didn't have the energy. I went and got checked and my testosterone was nothing. It was like 100. Your testosterone should be between 300 and 800. And um, so I ended up getting connected with both an amazing doctor, Dr. Gabrielle Lyon, who and now I'm working with another group for medical also who helps me optimize my my level. So I, I so these are 
you see the best version yourself, it's no different than a race car. We should be tweaking our race car to be the best version of ourselves. You want to be a better leader? You want to be a better father? You want to be a better businessman? You want to be a better salesperson? Better warrior? I don't know what it is. It, it all starts with you and how you lead yourself and build yourself. And those are the components that I look after myself in all times. Yeah. Amazing, man. I'm, I'm right there with you. There's a, a lot of lessons, of course, that you teach people from the outside through your experience. What are some of the lessons that you teach your kids or do they differentiate from the lessons that you teach others or is it pretty much the same? It's pretty much the same. You know, and it's, um, you know, I, I, I didn't, you know, I never beat my kids over the head with the lessons that I teach. It was more of, um, I teach three rules of leadership. Lead yourself, lead others. 75% of leadership is leading yourself. If you don't take care of yourself, um, if you say negative, if you um, fly off the hand, I hate to tell you, your kids are probably going to emulate your behavior uh, because our kids are, and, and so do your employees, teammates. So if you are a leader and you're not effectively being yourself, then you are setting the example, whether you want to or not, for in your organization or in your family. So for me, I make sure that I'm setting the example for my kids, that I'm positive, that I take care of myself physically, that, you know, when, when I'm going through hard times, I navigate through it and figure out how to get through it. You know, I don't, I don't just quit because something doesn't look, these were lessons that, you know, I could say my kids apply to their lives all. Let them, I'll hear them use phrases of mine and uh, my my middle daughter very goal driven. She is big into fitness and nutrition. Um, she uses my goal setting that I that I do my point man uh, my point man planner. So it's it's neat to see that uh, you know when your kids basically set their own path, but they use that you shift with that successful. And is there anyone that's reached out to you that? who you were inspired by their story through your story. I know the, I know you've helped so many people, but there is there someone that really sticks in your mind who's maybe reached out and say, you know what, uh, Jason, I've heard your story, I've read your book, I've used your principles, and it's helped me with some situation in their life. Is there, is there anything there that sticks in your mind from an, a certain individual? Yeah, I mean, I would say probably um, Kenny Mitchell is a... Uh... Uh, uh, Richmond, Virginia, and uh, Kenny became one of my coaches. It was so, and he had a amazing story. He reached out to us in 2020, and he had read my book Overcome, and he said, "Man, I didn't even realize that I've been stuck on the act for the last seven years. I a lot. I meet people who had something happen in their life, and that they sat on the act. And I talk about this in my book that oftentimes we." We get this victim mindset. We just, we just, we settle for a substandard life. We settle. We stop going out there a little green, and uh, and we just. Well, there are a lot of people that do that when some traumatic event happens in their life. And uh, Kenny, unfortunately, gang came up to unexpectedly, and um, responded to the call when it occurred. Uh, with his uh, young adult. 
And for almost seven years, he, he just kind of went through the motions of life, you know, trying to put on this game face, but really just doing the absolute minimum to get by. And when he read my book, Overcome, he said, man, I needed this. Like, it made me realize I've been sitting on the act. And he started a bond principle that I talked about in the book to his own life. And now, man, he runs an organization called Operation Yellow Tape, helping fellow firefighters overcome trauma. And, and he, uh, I've had him as a coach in our group. Um, I've brought him to have him speak. I'm trying to help him get out there more as a speaker. So yeah, he, uh, he did an amazing job. And, uh, you know, it's incredible. I have people reach basis like that and just say, wow, like, thank you. I was stuck on the act on, you know, what you put out there, you know, whether I saw this video or whether I read your book, the drop word. Brilliant, man. And I know you're teaming up with another inspirational individual, Bedros Koulian, sometime soon. And uh, you're putting together a speaking event. What's what's that about? Yeah, that's right. So Bedros and I have become friends over the years. He, you know, we talk about mentors and looking for people. So, you know, I can people in the mindset space and I can mentor people in the, you know, overcome trauma and, and things like that. But where I'm still learning and growing is in the entrepreneur space. I'm 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 a I'm a rookie in this space. You know, I came out of the military. I mean, granted, I've been out for 13 years, but I ran a nonprofit for quite a bit of time. So really, in my business, only uh, five years now, we've been full on into the entrepreneur space with our my speaking company, our our coach. So I met Bedroom Spoolian about five years ago, and he's on the upper end of that spectrum, man. Bedroom's is worth a couple hundred million dollars. He has built multiple companies. He is a, a for some of the more elite, you know, eight, nine figure out there. He has the ability to look at a business and just say, hey, you know, you should do this. Make these changes, and that's going to enable you to 2x, 10x your business. So Bedroom and I met, and he had read my book when I met. That man, I was really motivated fired by you and, and uh we ended up becoming friends and he has been a friend and a mentor of mine um i've learned a ton from him and just appreciate and respect him um i love life because it is not just about entrepreneurship it's after i've been so many humans there is the entrepreneur there's the there is the leader and i think everyone depending on what you like there, there are, you wish you could be better in any one of those three areas. All of us do. Um, it's pretty rare that you find someone who is just killing it in all three areas. Um, most fire be a little better. And I think any, any man or leader worth their salt want to be stronger in these three areas. And what I like for him is he didn't grow up in the warrior community. He was military, but he, he applied himself in those areas also with training that he's done and 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 jujitsu and and he's gone and done training and weapons and and all kinds of different things to be to have that warrior mindset and encouraging others to do that that this should be part of your program. So anyway, as friends with very shared um, um, leadership views, uh, he is launching a, a new program that's coming soon. Not any details because we will. We will fully unveil it in September at and I'm super excited to be one of the speakers there. Uh, I noticed actually, Gavin, I was looking, um, Craig Ballantyne, uh was uh, recently on your show, so Craig will be there. 
along with some other really heavy hitters in the uh, in the entrepreneur space, and they're just going to be pouring knowledge into people and helping individuals want to get better uh, as entrepreneurs, as leaders, and as warriors. I'll be giving a speech called uh, "Unleash the Warrior Within" that I feel like everyone has a warrior within them, and it may not be you know it may not be fighting with your fist, but you have to fight for your marriage. You have to fight for your business. You have to fight against competition. And you need that warrior mindset to do that. And if you haven't unleashed that yet, you need to find it. Yes, get after it. I think uh, Bedros has been the most mentioned individual on this podcast, and I'm yet to interview him. So he's been mentioned on my podcast with Ray Cash Care. Don't know if you know Ray Cash Care. I know Ray well, yeah. Uh, Nick Nick Kubalatos. And uh, of course, Greg Ballantyne, and and of course you today. So I need to get Bedros on this podcast at some point because we we keep talking about him. And uh, man, for this podcast, absolutely, as I said, I knew the inspiration was going to come. You didn't disappoint. I think everyone listening to this is absolutely fired up. Thank you for your time, your value, your energy, and the work you do. Thanks for putting your story out there because you could have easily taken this experience and just packed it away and got on with your life, but you choose not to do that you've used it to help other people overcome their difficult situations and get out of the x in their life and for anyone listening to this who wants to check out your content wants to grab your books wants to potentially work with you or see you speaking someday where is the best place to find you at and and where can we get you uh jason redmond go there and um you have my online courses, you have my books, you have the Overcome Merchant, you sell things like Victor Not Victim shirts and Beat Tight Leadership shirts, or we're getting short with about action, motherfucker. Because um, it, it's the bottom line. I don't care what you're dealing with, get up and go. And, uh, so, yeah, so we're excited about all that. So check us out, jasonredman.com. I'm definitely going to grab on those t shirts there. I love it, man. Victor Not Victim. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jason. Till next time. All right, Gavin. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Modern Warrior Podcast. If this episode has added value to your life, please share this episode on your social media platforms so that others too can gain the insight, information, and inspiration that they need in order to move forward in their lives. For the time being, stay strong and keep fighting the good fight.